him up, and Ben goes, oh, never mind, I'm not continuing this conversation. What are you talking about? Nothing at all. Continue, Ben. Do you need me to repeat it, Joel? <laughs> Please do. You are I said Mel Gibson was right about aim small, miss small. Mel right. Gibson was right about a lot of things. <laughs> well, I was wrong about some things, too. Welcome to Practical <laughs> Shooting made, After Dark. He made, yeah, <laughs> he made some <laughs> terrific comments on Tris. <laughs> oh, oh Ben. <laughs> anyway, welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. We're here to talk about shooting. On deck tonight, Andres Agobles. Hey, party people. And Mr. Joel Park. Hello. Cool intro here. <laughs> cool intro here is the only way to do it. Uh, let's see. We got some drama stuff to talk about. I want to talk about a trip I did. Andreas is going to tell people how to even out their presses for more consistent charges. No, that's not even a joke. Sounds like uh, this show is going to be a roller coaster. <laughs> it's, yeah, I feel like I'm going to have the uh, least yeah. interesting topic here. Don't worry. But that's okay. Spice it up with a joke or two. You know? Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, Mr. Park, what's going on? You got uh, a three drama going on, don't you? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I already miss Matt. It's only been a week or something like that. Uh, well, I guess there's been a lot of talk about Area 3, of course. Um, I have talked to Matt. And, uh, you know, as far as I know, he's planning on still running the Area 3 match, which will be excellent. Looking forward to seeing him. And I think the match will be really good. Uh me and some of the other homeboys have submitted stages, so uh, pretty promising. I am uh, also heavily considering running for Area 3 director. Well, I, who's, the, uh, who's the other candidates? I don't know yet. So last cycle, there was uh, the BOC candidate running against Matt, so I guess Sherwin's puppet. And then uh, the other guy that I've heard, the other name I've heard floated for Area 3 is a guy that honestly kind of doesn't seem like he offends anyone, and that would be Robert Olson. Robert's excellent. Right, so he's the match director in, what is it, Sioux Falls? He's hosted me for classes, and he gets, seems to get along with the BOCs. Yeah, he's the section coordinator for Great Plains. So he so, seems, like, I reasonable. Mean, but he, have, you've talked to him, right? John? I have talked to Robert, yeah. Uh, uh, maybe this has changed. It's been... I don't know, a month or two before when we talked about uh, if Matt had became president, uh, if he'd be interested in being Area 3 director, just kind of thinking about what ifs. Yeah, I mean, this that, Area 3 thing was going to be a problem no matter what. Yeah. At, at that time, Robert wasn't interested, but I mean, it, it, things could have always changed. But at that point, uh, you know, we I don't think you mind me saying we talked about it and he like he thought I would be a good fit. Um, and would encourage me to run it at that time. He was not interested. But of course, that could always always change yeah. and like you said robert's pretty agreeable everybody likes him well ben I mean, if you're not, not, not if you're not like pissing him. anybody off are you really getting anything done hey i'm with you buddy <laughs> i mean yeah joel's good at pissing people off but it's through uh you know passive aggression that kind of thing it's not going to well, be over sort of trolling that i'm kind of into we can help him with that <laughs> well no joel's joel's tactics are very, very good at making people crazy, you know? Just talk about including the dot. It'll get yeah, reactions, Yeah, talk about including the dot, and JJ has a fucking aneurysm. Uh, I mean, it's <laughs> it's like easy to talk crap about Area 3, whatever, how I think the match would be better or different, whatever. Uh, I mean, I, it's no secret. Sherwin and I disagree on what makes a good match. 
Um, but I mean, he's done the job for 13 years, which is quite a long time to be doing it. Um, he's I've had well, I've personally had conversations with Sherwin several times over the years, uh, and he's made it very clear like he he doesn't want to do it anymore. He's done. He's kind of taken his turn, so to speak, you know, 13 years of it. So he's done. He wants to move on. Um, so That's been the line as long as I can remember is that he doesn't even want to be doing it. The Area 3 match should be, you know, it'll be different going forward regardless from what it was since Sherwin's done and somebody else is going to, you know, take over. But, yeah, the, the line's been he doesn't want to be doing it, what he's doing. So uh, I know you've had some differences of opinion about uh, the match, obviously. You stopped going at a certain point. I did several years ago, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he did do a lot of stuff, so it's like, well, I mean, it's probably right that someone else take over. Like, if, you know, it's not you or someone. Yeah. So anyway, we'll uh, have to see what see what happens, but. Yeah, you're running. I think I think a lot of people would find you to be an excellent fit. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a few opinions on things that needed that I would change. So well, no, but ideas, I mean, so. you also, you also do BOC stuff too. Like you're on the board for your gun club proper, mm-hmm. and you do match director stuff. Uh huh. Yeah, so I mean, and you make the uh, PSTG summit happen. And everybody always has a good time there, which I'm not sure that's a positive for some circles. <laughs> well, it is, it is a large it is a substantial multi-day shooting event that has a lot of logistics and sign up and money stuff that needs to track. And the three ones have all gone off well, despite uh, in some cases, the clubs trying to do their best to make sure that uh, things are rocky. Yeah. You know, actually, Joel, this is this is interesting. You're you're gun club. You're you the treasurer. Is that what you uh-huh. do? Yep. So you had a gun club. I don't know what I should say, but at least the cash control was kind of wonky and you got into the job and fixed the cash control. There were it was, I would say, very loose, uh, loose controls, no, no dual control at all. And so that I, I mean, I actually put a lot of stipulations because they they actually asked me because they they're like, well, we you know, we know this is kind of loose. We need to get, you know, cleaned up, looked at whatever. And I was like, yeah, so there's some I had like a list of things like I'm not taking it's not negotiable. If I don't add in these layers of dual control, it's not negotiable. I'm not interested. And I'm like, and to be very clear, it's not really to protect you. It's to protect me because <laughs> intentional, you know, bookkeeping, whether loose or deliberate, uh, if there's ever something that shakes out and there's a problem somewhere, I'm going to have enough safeguards built in to protect me. But there's no way I could have possibly stolen money from you and enough checks and balances that I'm putting in place like you know, to make sure that's not an issue. Well, imagine if somebody with that kind of attitude was on the board for USPSA. Walk imagine right into that it. one. I know. <laughs> I can't. You can't imagine it well? I can't imagine it. That's just so far out of uh, what's well, existed in the past. Like, to be clear, it was, it was self-preservation, too. It's, it's well, good you, for everyone. You, you kind of take a long view of self-preservation. Other people go with uh, lying, obfuscation, projection you know, character assassination. They go with that in order to protect themselves from consequence. You're going to go with doing the right thing. Well, you know. Try to. We'll see how that works out for you, buddy. Four people will go with, I'm not going to be in trouble tomorrow, so let's just keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's a future Joel problem. I was going to say, that's the line you use. This is a future Ben problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm always worried. I'm, you know, I'm always like, yeah, that's a future Ben problem when I'm uh, 
you know. It's like, yeah, my, the, the roof on my house is fucked yeah. and I have some extra money, but it's not raining today. So I'm just going to like buy booze with that money or something. Yeah, yeah consequences it's, not, it's not a problem happen. today. It's not a problem today. Consequences only take place after I do some cool shit. So yes. I try to focus on doing cool shit and not focus on consequences. Right, Joel? I'm not so cool. No, I'm the guy doing like the Excel. Sh- I have Excel spreadsheet for your class here, Ben. Like, no, I just I can't do it. I have no doubt that you do. No, and I actually, well, I'm making myself sound more nerdy. I have every, uh, at least the last three or four years you've done classes here. I still have the Excel sheets from those and the summit. So I can tell exactly what I allocated each year for targets and supplies. And anyway, I'm just making it look worse. So I'll stop now. Well, no, it's not bad. We We need nerd people to do nerd people things. You also have probably the most adult job of any of us on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I don't have a job. You do what you want at your job, Andreas. Like Joel's the only one of us that you know functionally has a job. I have to answer to the man. Yes. Yes. Or wage cucking, as it's called, in some circles. Okay. You know fun, Joel. All Sorry. right. All right. The uh the roller coaster's taken off. That was uh pretty good. So Joel running for area three, that's gonna be amazing. Sherwin ending a long career of doing BOC things and USPSA turning the page. Fantastic. What a yes. story. Can't wait. Um let's move on to something else. I went and attended uh, the TTPOA this year, this Texas Tactical Police Officers Association. It's uh, an an annual conference. So I'd heard about this sort of thing from uh, Mr. Pranka, you know, your friend and mine from, uh, you know, I like that guy. No, he's cool. So there was one in Ohio, uh, the Ohio Association for their police, like puts on a thing. And how it works is it's, it's like a, it's a conference, right? So they all get together and there's all sorts of events. There's industry people there to show off like, uh, well, there was like a mobile target. Uh, there was different guns, different armor, different armored vehicles and, you know, all sorts, all sorts of bullshit. It was like, uh, it, it was honestly, it was way bigger than I thought. There was a ton of companies sent people there, reps. How many people were there in attendance, would you thousands. say? It was in the thousands, but I don't know because it's not like everybody was. I mean, I think it was in the thousands. I, I don't I'm, I can't be sure because it's not like everybody was in the same place at the same time. But, um, you know, there was there was like the, the interview stuff. There was some debriefs on some uh, events or I guess uh, critical dynamic incidents, you might call them. If you're, <laughs> yeah. if you're into that sort of thing. So we're talking multi venue here then. Oh, yeah, there was like the, the shooting training portion of it happened at multiple different ranges. How do people sign up for like all the instructors, Ben? Is it like, well, that I'm yeah, interested in that Ben invited. guy? You're invited. Sorry. The instructors were invited and it's okay. not a paid thing for the instructors. They just get you get comped on like a room and a plane ticket, but you don't get paid. It's just I went because Prank has said, hey, this is going to be fun. What about like the attendees, though, the police officers? Do they sign up for each block or is there a rotation? They sign up for blocks. Um, not every dude can be in the block they want to be in. So that it's like rank ordered. And the, okay. the scheduling process has to be insanely complicated. I just can imagine. Because of the numbers yeah. of instructors. Like it was, it was, I thought it was going to be way smaller. The pro shop went too. And pro shop Tim thought said the same. He's like, man, I thought this would be way smaller. There's tons of motherfuckers there. 
so I can't help myself. I got more questions. So are you like on a bay? So you're like, Ben, you go to bay 11 and then well, that was there. just one part of it. One like my part of it was two days of of me giving like a one day class so guys can get a taste of what's going on. And it was like an eight hour. So your block like for that group is a one day or is it like a half a day? Yes, yeah, so it was one day. OK, uh, but you're just focusing on the shooting training. But the shooting training part of it was maybe 10 percent of the conference. OK, like if that gives you an idea of the scale of it. I mean, that was just one thing that you could do or one part of it. There was a lot of things happening. Um, yeah, so it, it was it was big. And I, I was on a couple episodes of the TTPOA podcast, which will air at some point. So, you know, anyway, that was all. It was it was quite the experience. And the big thing was uh, showing, you know, my theme was showing practical shooting skills to uh to police officers and primarily it was like firearms instructor type guys. So just showing like, Hey, this is how we do it for USPSA and apply this, you know, however you want. We showed them, you know, basic training exercises, training cues, um, all that. I would say the big difference in training or what was like outside of the paradigm for most of the guys that I had, you know, what was outside of their thinking Mm -hmm. was um, where we shoot, we do marksmanship training at speed and correct problems at speed and don't stigmatize mistakes because the feedback I got from those guys was, you know, most people, it's like when you go to the range, you're just doing qualifications. So you obviously you just have to shoot for score and there's not much training, you know, and yeah, then if, you, if you're if you're training an academy, you're just training to qualify. And I, I would not be pushing people to shoot as fast as we shoot in the USPSA in that situation. That was my next question. My perception is that they basically shoot 100 percent reactively, like reacting to each sight picture, and they don't shoot as much predictive shooting. Is that fair or is that not correct? Well, that's true. Of I mean, you've got it. There's this is a so this association, I would say it's a small subset of law enforcement officers. So it'd be like you have people that do it as a job or whatever. And these guys were like SWAT guys, which you have to work to get into. And this was a thing they like, maybe they or their agency had to pay to go to like guys didn't show up there by accident. So this crowd was the most motivated or interested in this type of stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they're already, it's a self-selected group. Yeah, it is a self-selected group. So then the, the, it mostly these guys are the guys who kind of train as far as like the firearms and tactics and that kind of stuff. They, they're the guys training their agencies predominantly. That's just, I mean, that's, that's a lot of the group that you're dealing with. Yeah. So it's train the trainer. Kind of, or, or train the SWAT guy who just wants to be better. Sure. Okay. Uh, That, that was kind of what it was. Yeah. With what you're saying on speed, I've had a couple police officers from around Georgia in my classes and they've like the target focus shooting, like that's, they've typically seen that or been trained on that and react or a reactive shooting. They've been trained on that. And usually the, the eye opening thing has been that these guys have built up some really good fundamentals and they've never really just cut loose on speed and shooting predictively to see what they can get away with. And and it's generally been very surprising. Like we're doing doubles at 15 yards and they're putting all the rounds in the A zone. And they're like, man, I had no idea I could do that. And it's just been that they had the skills. They just never hit the gas. 
to that level. Right. That is, that's exactly what a lot of guys saw, where I'm like, hey, just do it at this pace. I like, shoot like and this target. I want you shooting as fast as you can pull the trigger, just reacting to the color from your optic. Like just start shooting right. So like confirmation two is what once it calls that mm-hmm. yeah. just shooting, seeing the color. That's a big one for people that if you're always shooting with a time limit, that gives you extra time, you know, like a qualification does. Sure. Then you don't really get punished for letting the dot look like a dot, you know, just shooting it like a super comfortable sight picture on everything. You never get punished. That's why you, you know, the practical shooting, like competition side, that's where you learn that other stuff, like how to really shoot faster. Yeah. Okay. And the, yeah. The other thing that's been having like coming into position and seeing their dot immediately and some of the more dynamic shooting that that's, that's tended to be new for some of the police officers. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that, that was you know, the, the training aspect of it was interesting. Um, yeah. And it was a, it was a well-organized event, I have to say. So uh, that, w- that was an interesting thing to go do something different. Most of the stuff that I do outside of open enrollment civilian classes is just military training, which I don't talk about on here a whole lot. Is there anything so, you uh, walked away with from the TTPOA, like anything new or? Did you for, get me to take- to, for, for me yeah. to do from a shooting perspective? No, not really, because I didn't get to shoot with anybody. I was going to ask you if you get to no, take I, any actually, other there was one. There was one interesting thing. Mike Pannone was there, among a lot of other people that I know, like uh, – Bob Vogel was there. Matt Pranka was there. Like uh, there was some interesting personalities there. But uh, Pannone is doing something interesting in his concealed carry classes because uh, I got to talk him because I know him. I have a good relationship with Mike. Um, anyway, we got to talking and uh, you'll see some stuff on the training group podcast with Joel and Mike Pannone. That's kind of uh, he's got an interesting approach to uh, the con- like, uh, doing shooting training for concealed carry. And I'll tell you, like, the big the big thing that he's keyed in on is trying to break out of uh, standing on the range, looking, like, squared up on a target, drawing and shooting the target uh, really quickly. Like, he's, he's keyed in on uh, some ways to train, like, more practical scenarios. I guess you'd say his, his class is the answer to watching True Exodus on Instagram. If you get the reference. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, it, it, and getting it, he's very, he's very open about it. I'm like, I'm like, Hey, what, what do you see? He's like, listen, he sees all these dudes with appendix, you know, they're shooting three, five yards, seven yards, squared up on a target, grip it and rip it like as fast as they, as fast as they can shoot type of stuff. And he looks at, he's looking at that like, all right, you know, let's make, make it practical. So he's got, you know, you turning 90 degrees and acquiring a target, your vision and drawing, shooting it, that kind of stuff. So always moving your feet and making it, you know, that type of, you know, more towards a practical scenario. It, it was an interesting conversation with Mike. And as a result, I, I plugged him in with Joel and we should see some some stuff. Coming, Joel. So you've got a Did you you're going to have an interview with uh, Jeff Linsky as well, right? Yes. Is that set up? It'll be coming soon. Uh, I need to finalize my list of questions and send it to him for him to approve. But yeah, that'll be the very near future. Like in the next uh, couple of weeks, training group members will have that. So some, some good things came out of it. Yeah. 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 As always. Cool. Yeah.
Anyway, uh, let's talk about boring shit now. Andreas, tell us how to make our press throw a consistent powder charge. So more than wait, that. Wait, wait, but spoiler alert. Before you go, you know you want to know the answer to this question? Oh, yeah. It's have Andreas look at your press next time he's at your house, Ben. The answer, that's the answer. We'll do that. We'll there's do a, that. Party, there's a mean? party of people looking at. What was that? A Sasquatch? Was that we were at your place for Jared, a second, like last Jared, year? Yeah, there were like three guys crawling over your press. It was, like, it was pretty impressive. And how dirty my press was. And it's he like, asked you if it ran. He's like, does this even work? Like nominally, yeah. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. you get around you get around that problem by shooting Atlanta Arms during matches, right? Or you get somebody else to load your ammo for matches. I'm not. I think that's who it is, but. Um, but the, I typically, sh- well, I've almost always shot factory ammo. Yeah. His reloads are not to be trusted for matches. Yeah, so if you're like me and you're dumb enough to shoot your own ammo at uh, majors, the, the the takeaway was if you think you're having gun trouble, it could be that your, your press isn't set up well and you should check that. So I had some problems at the South Carolina match with – had some light strikes at the match and then had a failure to eject at the match that cost me a couple of seconds on one of the stages. And I thought it was a gun problem and digging in deeper, it ended up being a problem with my, some problems with my 1050 and how I had it set up and running. So if you're seeing powder build up on your shell plate as you're reloading, like that's not something to just dust off and keep loading like that, that indicates a problem. And if you're seeing, if you're getting light strikes, that's not necessarily a hammer spring or a uh, firing pin spring. That could be your primer seating depth. So the the things that I figured out were um, on the 1050, you can adjust the primer seating depth. There's that, uh, there's a bolt you can screw down or screw up or screw down that sets the primer seating depth. And if you're getting light strikes, check that out. Like even if your primers are flush or slightly below flush, kind of run that down to, uh, to to bottom out the primers and good chance that your light strikes will go away. And if you're, when, you, when you're chronoing ammo, if your standard deviation is kind of high, like if you're seeing a lot of variation, that could be related to primer spillage as the shell plate advances. And what I did on that is I put some tie wraps around the edge of the, between the shell plate and the, there's the outside uh, metal frame that the shell plate rides in. And what that does is it creates some drag between the shell plate and the, uh, the body of the press. So when the shell plate advances, it doesn't snap into position. It's more of a, the, the drag makes it coast into position and the primer spillage pretty much goes away. And yeah, the gun runs a lot more consistently. Like the, the, the standard deviation on the, on the rounds went down and I haven't had any failures to eject since then. Kind of what I realized is that if the round isn't fully ejected, that could be a weak round. Like your, your extractor is doing everything it should do. But um, there's just not enough juice to run the slide and, and throw the round clear before the slide starts moving forward. So if everything on the gun's looking good, like you got a new extractor spring, the extractor's clean and doesn't look beat up, 
take take a look at take a look at the press and the problem could be there. So I just yeah, just don't discount primer spillage. But that's the the, the the powder that's landing on your shell plate is powder that's not going into the round. And that's that's not what you want. I guess so uh, primer seating depth is super huge. I always make sure like Tanfos especially, but I mean any gun, I always make sure they're below flush also. And then for guys using 650s that it's not really adjustable, I guess, you kind of still can. I won't explain this very well, uh, but the you're going to have to like make this sound better than what I'm saying. But when the ram comes down, obviously there's that that block with the punch pointing upwards, like what's bottoms out on the on the shell plate that's going to push the primer up. And under that, there's two little screws that attach it kind of to the main body of the of the press. If you loosen those two little bolts, you can kind of like wedge that little arm up and then slide a washer under that to make it higher, then tighten those two bolts down. And that way, as opposed to that little arm like bottoming out on the press, it's now going to bottom out on the washer, if that makes sense. So you're basically shimming the press to uh, yeah. to seat primers deeper, which the I mean, it's not designed to do that, but it works just fine. That's what I did on my 650, and it worked like a boss. But having yeah, but primers below flush is super important. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? I'm loading with some Gen X primers right now, and I, I like them a lot. They they run through the uh, the primer filler and the priming system real nice. They're like CCIs in, in terms of the profile. Oh, nice. But, um, yeah, I think the, the primers are wincing in pain when they get seated now. Like, they are really smashed up in there, and... Yeah, the ignition is just super positive now. So that's that's pretty cool. So I wish I had figured this out before uh, South Carolina. But um, yeah, it's, you know, it'll be ready for uh, for fall majors. If you're seating primers, though, and they're like dimpled, do they look like smashed when you're like seating them in the rounds and you back that off a little bit? Like you don't need to deform them. Uh, in my experience, you just want them to be below flush. Yeah. Yeah, I have them pretty crushed down and it doesn't seem to be causing a problem. Like they're... they're the rounded corners are flattening out a little bit, so we'll see. We've got a couple months of uh, of local matches to, to test everything out. Jesus Christ! Can I can I say something now? Please do. Yes. All this fucking bullshit is why I shoot factory ammunition in matches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should probably just have sell or buy you, buy sell ammo. Money, and you live yeah. right by Atlanta Arms, and you have yeah. a good relationship with sell. Yeah. None of this makes sense to me. Like. Yeah, I probably will buy. Be, like, you can still fuck around with your press and try to get better ammo, but you can at least put the consequences, like, make it, like, basically consequence-free because factory ammo is just better. Yeah, I've I've shot some of Sal's ammo, and that, that stuff runs really nice. It's yeah. super accurate. and Yeah, it's impeccable. Yeah. Like, other people are going to load it better than you can. Yeah, Sal knows a lot more about that than I ever will. And I'll also say something else. I would rather shoot Blazer 115s that I know work yeah. That Joe Bob's reloads. Yeah, because by the time you start buying new brass, that's also an issue. Like, well, that like reloading isn't even really that cheap anymore with uh, primer prices. I mean, and even guys sitting on a, a stock of primers that they acquired years ago, they might think it's like cheaper or better somehow. But you know, you know. You know, people get like weird ideas about stuff. Like I look at it like I'm sitting on primers because it's like if I use up the primers I have, I just have to replace them, which I can't really do. You know, so yeah. it's like, I don't know. Just buy factory ammo, dude. Quit fucking around. Yeah, I think for majors. Yeah, 
For uh, I, yeah. I use my reloads. It's fine. Just you have to so use the ammo. You have impeccable reloads, Joel. You've actually won a national championship using some of my reloaded ammo. It's only because I forgot my ammo. Because <laughs> that's how I do it. I like to fly by the seat of my pants. That was an interest. That was a fun day. It was, uh, yeah, it was a good one. <laughs> <sighs> well, you know, guys, I think that was a cracker of an episode. I mean, just think about all the good things we talked about. It was amazing. And no listener questions. And I got a little visit from Charlie where we were talking about reloading presses. So, you know. And it's nice. yeah, it's tough enough to keep you focused anyway. But then. Yeah, you what know. Do you do? Autism is a real thing, Joel. You got to stop uh, bullying me about it. I'll find something to bully you about. Don't you worry. Well, the hammer broke bullies who he wants. You know what I mean? Listeners, if you have a question, you want the answer too. <laughs> Go to my website. It's Ben. Joel's very sensitive. Send me your question. We'd love to hear from you. Hammer. Well, yes. I can actually stop recording now too. Boom. God damn it. <laughs>